The date is Thursday the 8th of February. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. And to celebrate SpaceX's successful launch of the Falcon Heavy rocket, you can see it live. Well, you can't see it live. It's already happened. You can see the video of what happened on facebook.com slash new rising media. I thought I would dive into eight strange facts about space in general. What does Snoopy have to do with NASA? How did the USA and the USSR try and convince children to be astronauts in their space race during the Cold War? These facts and many more coming up in this episode. Stick around. It's going to be a good one. And first off, we're going to talk about going to the moon. Now, as you know, the first person to set foot on the moon was Neil Armstrong and his pilot Buzz Aldrin in July 20th, 1969. So... You'd think, since then, there's been a fair few people that have gone up to the moon. Well, so that is quite the rare honour. 24 astronauts flew around the moon, 12 of those walked on the lunar surface, and 6 of those drove a lunar rover on the moon. Three astronauts have been to the moon twice, and of those three, two of them have landed. Which means that nobody has ever been on the moon more than once. So, it's quite an honour to take with you, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, These Apollo astronauts have got quite the impressive story to tell their grandkids. Next up, Snoopy. So, after the Apollo 1 fire of 1967, turned out that NASA needed to rebuild its devastated Apollo program because everybody thought it wasn't safe and everybody was terrified of it naturally. So they approached Charles Schultz, who was the creator of Peanuts, for permission to use Snoopy as their mascot for safety. He agreed and Snoopy set off on a safety conscious mission around the moon. The the choice of Snoopy makes sense. Aside from his floppy-eared adorableness, Snoopy had a long history of dreaming of flight. Sure, he usually envisioned a biplane dogfight in the Red Baron, but had a fishbowl helmet and he was ready for space. With the creator's blessing, NASA would have an approachable, charismatic advocate for safety. Like Smokey the Bear, but cuter. Now, every astronaut since 1968 has worn a silver Snoopy pin into space, and upon return, that astronaut presented the pin as a special recognition to a civilian team member who helped keep them safe. Tradition like this is pretty it's pretty cool really. And one that I'd love to see carry on long into the future of NASA. For number three, we're gonna take a dive into the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster of 2003. So after the explosion The debris was reported to have stretched from Texas all the way through to Louisiana, which, as many Americans will know, is quite a long distance. And the search team 
was so incredibly thorough that they found nearly 84,000 pieces of the shuttle. Amongst, quite curiously, some other weird discoveries. So, reading from the Atlantic and their feature about Columbia's last flight and the fallout of it. Quote, unquote, The best work was done on foot by tough and dedicated crews who walked in tight lines across several thousand square miles. Their efforts became something of a close sampling of the American landscape, turning up all sorts of odds and ends, including a few apparent murder victims, plenty of junked cars, and the occasional clandestine meth lab. More to the point, it also turned up crew remains and more than 84,000 pieces of the Columbia, which, at £84,900, accounted for 38% of the vehicle's dry weight. Certain pieces that had splashed into the murky waters of lakes and reservoirs were never found. It was presumed that most, if not all, of the remaining pieces had been vaporised by the heat of re-entry, either before or after the breakup. That's right. They were so thorough in their investigation and search for pieces that they found a number of murder victims and a few meth labs. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, I want you to close your eyes. Not if you're driving. <laughs> Jesus Christ, not if you're driving. Focus on the road. I want you to think what it would be like to be on the edge of space looking over planet Earth and seeing the curvature of the planet and seeing everything happening beneath you. When astronauts first saw Earth from afar during the Apollo 8 mission in 1968, the US's second manned mission headed toward the moon, they described a cognitive shift in awareness after seeing our planet hanging in the void. This state of mental clarity and general phenomenon amongst astronauts is called the overview effect. And it occurs when you are flung so far away from Earth that you become totally overwhelmed and awed by the fragility and unity of life on our blue marble in space. It's the uncanny sense of understanding the big picture and of feeling connected yet bigger than the intricate processes bubbling on Earth. When we originally went to the moon, our focus wasn't, our total focus was on the moon. We weren't thinking about looking back at Earth, but now that we've done it, that may well have been the most important reason we went. And it's also one of the most, I guess, beautiful reasons that we went. I mean, first of all, it's pretty beautiful because socket flat Earth theorists, but also it's, it's quite a profound way of looking upon the planet and it gives you a new perspective that no one will ever be able to take away from you. I'm sorry to get all super serious and philosophical there, but it's just food for thought really, isn't it? And we've come to that middle part of the show. No sponsors, just a quick plug for what else I get up to. So as you probably know, this is the official podcast of a blog that I write called newrisingmedia.com. If you don't know that, then please go check it out. 
go on the website, it's a lifestyle blog for the future human. So basically I cover technology, science and geek culture and put my unique spin on it on seeing how today's stories impact tomorrow and how the future human will benefit or not benefit from what's going on. So I do recommend if you are a nerd, which let's be honest, if you're listening to this, you probably are then go check it out. I also have a Twitch stream, which is dedicated to my favorite games console ever, the PlayStation 2. I don't do it for the stats. I do it primarily... It's a weird one, really. (laughs) Like, it's an outlet for my general social and work anxieties. Like, other people have drawing, other people have reading. I have playing games, and I know that some of you out there probably feel the same way about video gaming too. So I'm doing it every Monday and Wednesday. But subscribe on twitch.tv slash emotion engineer. That is emotion engineer. The PS2 has a CPU called the emotion engine, and every engine is an engineer, so I am the emotion engineer. I've said that way too many times in a short space of time. Um, And follow. Please follow the channel. Every view, every follow is super appreciated. And yeah, fire up in the comments. Let's have a chat. Anyway, enough of this. Let's get back on with the show. Next up, Playgrounds. Now... Way back when, in 1959, you'd think that children's playgrounds were innocent places to go play as children. Well, it turns out that they had a second use, as the US and USSR deliberately made the playground equipment to look like space rockets in order to try and inspire kids to go up into space. That is pretty crazy. They were installed during the Cold War in both communist and capitalist countries to try and get more kids interested in space exploration and to try and get closer to going to the moon in what was the space race at the time. So let's take one for example, Richardson, Texas, installed an atomic playground in 1965 with a radar tower, Saturn climber, submarine, radar dish and planet climber. And you could have seen many of these across Russia and all across America. Do you think it worked? Next up, is there life out there in space? It's one of those big questions that we all keep asking. And the common sense answer is to think, surely there has to be. There is the vast expanse of the universe Billions upon billions upon billions of times bigger than even we can comprehend. So there's got to be something out there. Well, something maybe as scientists discovered repeating radio signals that keep coming from a mysterious source well beyond the Milky Way. While one-off fast radio bursts have been detected in the past, This was the first time that multiple signals have been and continue to be detected coming from the same place in space. 
Is somebody trying to talk to us? Only time will tell. Next up, worms in space. There was a mission to the International Space Station on, if I can say that properly, Jesus, on the, there was a mission to the International Space Station, there we go, in January 2015, where scientists tested the regenerative properties of planarian worms in zero gravity, because naturally, gravity is required to make sure that worms grew back the correct way. So, is that, is that really the case? Or could they just grow back normally? Well, this is where it becomes interesting. One specimen actually grew a second head through spontaneous regeneration. And when researchers tried to amputate it, both heads grew back. That's right. This research led by the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University showed how microgravity and microgeomagnetic fields affected the growth and regeneration of these flatworms. Could this be the same for humans? Absolutely not. No, we would still die and we don't grow second heads when we're up there. Although we do shrink according to according to theories out there. But yeah, take a worm up there. It will grow a second head because it has no gravity or magnetic field in which to grow itself in a normal fashion. And finally, I know that plenty of cartoons kind of take the mickey out of it, but there was once a proposal to build a giant advertising billboard in outer space that would appear roughly the same size and brightness as the moon. The specifics behind the project were that it would be a one kilometer square illuminated billboard that would be launched into low orbit and be visible from Earth. However, it was turned down because it was estimated that it will be impacted by space debris more than 10,000 times every single year it was out there. That's right. And the project didn't meet funding and it inspired a bill to ban all advertisement in outer space. So good luck trying to get your ad out there. And that's it for this episode of Learn Something. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, engage with the show if you're listening to this on Anchor. Hi. Don't forget to favourite the station. And if you have any weird and wonderful facts of your own, call in. If you're listening to this on podcast services, thank you for listening to me wherever you are, in your car, on the... Um, oh, bloody hell. On the tube, on the bus, walking to work, whatever it may be. Thank you all for taking the time to check in and check this place out. Um, do subscribe. Any reviews, feedback, greatly appreciated. Don't forget to read the blog on newrisemedia.com and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye.